Lord, on this day when we remember the Reformation, we most of all bow down before you in thankfulness for your grace and your mercy in our Savior, Jesus Christ, for in him we have salvation. And it is only because of your great love for us that we are blessed to be here as your children with sins forgiven and with a promise of salvation given to us because Christ has accomplished all things for us. So we pray that you would keep us steadfast in this faith. And as we read this very word that you've given to us now this day in John, that you'd once again point us to Jesus, the only salvation from sin. In his name we pray. Okay, so any questions from last week on Job? Anything you've been pondering that you wanted to bring up? I don't know what he said, so we could fake it. Um, Okay, any other questions on John that you remembered that you wanted to ask? Questions on Job was uh, he was considered a blameless man. Yes, right. Blameless in all he did. Right. Yeah. So, so the theme in Job is that Job doesn't think God is justified in causing this trouble in his life because Job is blameless. Right. Throughout the whole book, Job's like. His friends say, well, there must be something you did that you're just not telling us. That's why God is getting at you, right? And Job keeps saying, not really. Nope, can't think of a thing. And they're like, no, there's got to be something. And he goes, really? No, not really guilty of anything. Sorry. Right? Is that, is that, did you guys kind of go through that? So how does that work? Well, God calls him blameless. Right. God says, consider my servant Job. He's blameless. How does that happen? Was Job a sinner? Yeah, absolutely. How in the world does he become this righteous and blameless person? Through faith. And this is, this is the message of the Reformation. This is why we are so... That's why we have banners on the wall. That's why a pastor preached on this day because the righteousness that is assigned to humans is not something humans earn, but it's something that's given to them from God as a gift and is declared to be theirs. When God sees you in Christ, He sees you as righteous because of His Son. Right? So when he looks at you and you are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ accredited to you as though it's yours. Now you might look at yourself and say, righteous? Me? I know what I've done. And God knows what you've done too. But in Christ, your sins are removed from you. The the word for forgiveness in Greek is actually a word that means removed. Set apart from, all right? So your sins are removed from you and in their place is put the righteousness of Christ. So as you remain in the faith, God sees you as righteous. And people might walk up to you and say, how dare you think you're righteous? I know you, I know your sins. 
And the answer is in Christ alone. And because of him, before the Father in heaven, we stand righteous, justified. Right? And no matter what befalls you, it's not because God is punishing you for a certain sin. See, this is the point of Job. They're like, well, God punishes sin and he, and he rewards righteousness and you're being punished, therefore you must have really sinned more than other people aren't being punished. And Job says, no. That his friends say, it has to be. And they go on for like 30 chapters of this little argument. But, the, but this is the same thing that we read in the New Testament where Remember, they come to Jesus, they're like, well, what about these people that were killed in the temple and all this kind of stuff? Would, are they more guilty than, than everybody else? And Jesus is like, no. But you too repent. So the, the book of Job continues to teach us that there, there's kind of two aspects to it. What is Job's defense? That God is not deciding people get sick or whatever because they're more sinner, sinful than anybody else. That's not how it works. If that were true, the hostel would be full of atheists. Right? And all Christians would be home going, wee! That's not the way it works. Okay? The, the reason we're sick, the reason evil befalls us is simply because of sin. It's not necessarily your sin or my sin, it's just sin. It's just the, the fallenness of this creation. And it's something we just have to deal with. And the way we deal with it is we look at God and we say, we trust in him for help even when it doesn't look like he's our help. Even when it looks like he's abandoned us, we look at him and we say, you are my only hope, even in this. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is Job is kind of saying to God, yeah, what is up with all this? I'm pretty stinking righteous. Why are you getting me? And God shows up and says, yeah, who do you think you are? So what does that teach us? There's only one who gets to walk before God and accuse him. Who is it? Christ Jesus himself. The one who was truly God and man. Job is a man, but he isn't God. So when it comes before saying before God, what does Job say? Surely I spoke of things that I do not understand and repents in sackcloth and ashes and dust before the holy almighty God. And that is our proper stance before him. I don't walk before God and tell him what's up. <laughs> what right do I have to do that? He'll look at me and say, who are you? Were you there when I did all this? No. See, the book of Job, the creation is like, is like a toy to God. It's just a toy he's playing with, right? He's throwing this there and there and setting this up and doing this and playing with the animals. It's nothing to him. That's how mighty he is. And Job isn't even the whole creation. He's just one little speck of it. What right does he have to come before God? But what, ha what happens in the end of the book of Job? He gets a lot of gifts. He gets a lot of stuff. <laughs> because this God who walks up and says, who are you? Well, guess how he feels about you? He loves you. And so the book of Job is always teaching us kind of this reality to trust in God with all of our heart for righteousness, 
and salvation and love. And even in the midst of disaster, don't look and say, well, God is getting me for something I've done. No, no, no. Don't look at it that way. Just know in the midst of suffering, you're still supposed to turn to God as your only salvation. And in the end, you will stand on this earth with resurrected flesh and you will see your Savior. It's a promise. That's in Job. Right? I know that my Redeemer lives. That's in Job. And in the end, I will see him. With my own eyes, I will see him. Right? Resurrection of the body. That's our hope. No matter what happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. So don't read the whole thing. Just read the cliff notes. So Jim? When, when a person receives a so-called spanking from God, it's not for anything in particular that, he, that, that that person has done? It's just in general the, the sin that we have, we, yep. nature that we have? Yeah. There's, you, you don't want to start playing the game of, well, that person got that because of that. Whether good or evil. You don't want to look at someone's life and say, well, they're doing really well because they're really holy. And that person's really sick because they, they're really sinful. It doesn't work that way. So something that happened is, say for instance, a man who's not, you know, is going in the right direction. And something happens to him and he turns yeah. in a different direction. He starts going the other way. The opposite the well, God will, God can still work through circumstances to, to show us our need for him. And he will do that. Okay? So God does work through misfortune to point us to him. And, to, and that's our job as a church to come along people and say, hey, um, you do realize that the path you're on is leading to death. I don't know if you've heard this, but that's not good. All right? There is a way that leads to life. Let's, let's change that right repentance is a changing, a turning. Let's, let's repent of this evil and, and seek life. Yes, that is how God works through things. And we should work that way too with people, right? People that are in the midst of suffering, we say there is, a, there is a hope in the midst of your suffering. We turn them to Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes, it, that does happen. But we don't say this is happening to you because you are more sinful than that somebody is not happening to. I think it's important too to know that there are consequences of sin. Like sin still has a you know domino effect. Whether it's not necessarily punishment, but say you rob a bank, like you go to jail. Don't wait! Don't rob banks! What are you doing? <laughs> don't do that! Yeah, you're right. But you know what I mean? Like it's not like you can consider yourself. I'm gonna sin, sin, and sin, and there's never gonna be a consequence because there is. But that's not necessarily. Pointing punishment from God. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay? That's exactly it. So, and especially the consequences are between us. Not between us and God, but between us and this world. Okay? I live a life full of sin. Guess what? My life's going to be all messed up. Okay? Whether it's punishment from the law, or my family's broken, or a relationship with people are broken, or whatever, right? So, yeah, I, don't, don't rob banks. But if you did, there would be consequences. And, and those of us in this room would say, there should be consequences if you do that. As I always tell you guys, if you leave here 
and you're going whichever direction on 140 you want to go, and you go about 60 miles an hour, and you get pulled over, you can't say, it's cool, I'm forgiven. <laughs> you can't say that. You deserve the punishment for your transgression in the, in the eyes of the law, right? And the police officer who pulls you over is doing their job to give you a ticket. And you, by the way, there's a sign up telling you how fast you're allowed to go. Just don't go over that. There's a number on it. it, it that's the number. Just go under that. It's not that hard. It really isn't that hard. It really isn't. You just you just go one number less than that number and you're good to go. Well, that's and that's what I always get confused. There's a bunch of numbers out there. I'm like, well, that number says 50. That says 141. We'll split the difference, right? You can try that and see how it works. Okay, but but yeah, and that's and that's the reality too. Is we, is we want to we do want to live our lives. Remember, as Christians, we seek to live holy and decent lives. We seek to listen to God's will and follow it. That's our desire. Why? Because God is good. And what he tells us to do is good. And we trust that. Okay? So yeah, we do. That's exactly right. Any other quick questions before we get to John? Did that help at all? Oh yeah, I mean it's just a, it's just kind of it's just a mystery that we're saying the sinner at the same time. Yeah, we can't it's understand it. can't understand it. We can only say what it says and then mm-hmm. kind of go, yeah, I don't know. There's just lots of discussion about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it Job is really an interesting book. It's just it's really hard to read. It just is long. All right, um, let's read John five. We are well. I guess we should get to what we are doing. So remember, Jesus has just healed a guy. Um, he was, there was this guy who was an invalid and Jesus healed him and told him to take his mat and walk, right? Take your mat and go home. Just walk around with your mat on your, your shoulder. Well, that happened on the Sabbath, which, which really upset the, the Pharisees and the Jews. And so they're asking Jesus, how dare he break the Sabbath, right? And so he's getting all this. And his, so there's two things he's, well, so he says, I'm working on the Sabbath because my father's working on the Sabbath. And so now he's in trouble for two things. Breaking the Sabbath and making himself equal to God. So those are the two things he's being accused of. And what we're reading now is basically his defense against those two accusations. And a lot of the language that's used and the structure of the Greek here is actually something that would be used in a courtroom setting, like a trial setting. So a lot of the way Jesus structures his answer is somebody who would be answering to actual charges in a court case. Okay? So that's kind of the reason some of it is structured this way. He's going to keep on saying some certain phrases and and certain little ideas because he's actually answering these two charges, breaking the Sabbath and making himself equal to God. Okay? So that's where we're at. So any questions on, on the first 20 or from 19 through 24? from two weeks ago. We ended with this idea that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. So we've got this reality that when you reject Jesus, you're actually rejecting His Father as well. Okay? And conversely, when you accept the Son, you're also accepting His Father. So they don't, you can't separate them. Okay? So let's read 5, John 5, verses 25 through 29. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and can come out. Those who have done good to the, res to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, thank you very much. So number one, what has the power over death? The word? The sound? The word? What does he say? The voice of the Son of God. The voice of the Son of God. The voice of the Son of God. That's amazing. Now, why why do you think this is? Why do you think Jesus says this? Why do you think Jesus says the voice of the Son of God has power over death? How creation happened. I mean, it Good. Was so we're going back to Genesis 1, where God speaks creation into being. So the very voice of God is the power by which the entire creation comes about. Right? So when God speaks, stuff happens. Okay? Steve, you had your hand up? That's what you were? Okay. Why else? Or how does this continue in John? How does, how does John get us into Genesis 1? In John 1. Good. So in John 1, in the beginning was the... Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And this one was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and apart from him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, that's John 1 1 to 5. So what we're getting at is this word of God, who is himself God, when he speaks, he speaks, death is defeated. Okay? That's it. So you want to be the ones who hear the voice of Jesus. Now you all know this because we do it in church every year. It's in the Gospel of John. Everyone who hears my voice listens to me and I will lead them out. Right? What, what chapter is that from? You have another number. What's it about? I am the good shepherd. Okay? That's from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd chapter. Where he says, My sheep will hear my voice. I will call them by name. Right? And when they hear my voice, they'll follow me and I'll lead them out. Out of what? 
out of sin and death, out of the tomb itself. Okay? So this voice of Jesus that you want to be listening to, it, it is the voice that will give you life. Remind me again of what happens when you die. Uh, no, but I mean what happens <laughs> at that time? At that time? Yes. Oh, what do you mean? I, I'm not being okay. silly. What do you mean? Are you judged? Yes. Does your soul go to some place? Sure. Do you wait for the resurrection? Yes. All that all that stuff. Okay. All those metaphors are biblical metaphors. So so remember, at the point of death, here, here's what you need to know. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you guys the truth. Are you in Christ now? Is he your eternal savior? At the moment of your death, are you in Christ? Is he your eternal savior? At the day of the second coming, are you in Christ? Is he your eternal savior? That's all you need to know. The rest of it, I don't know. Here's what we talk about, though. It seems to us like our dead brother or sister in Christ, we're going to stuff in the, bo- in the grave, right? We're going to put them in a box and put them in the ground. So it seems to us like there's part of them there, but we also say they're with Christ. So how do we deal with that? I don't know. So we talk about body and soul. But that's not actually a biblical idea. That's just the way we talk about it. The Bible never says at death there's a separation of body and soul. That's just a way we talk about it to, to try to express this reality that seems to be dualistic in our minds. There's something that with Jesus and something in the ground. I don't know. How do you talk about that? I don't know. Right? But that's, that's not really what happens. What happens is you're in Christ. That's all we know. We can talk about it in different ways. I don't know. And I've, I've told you guys this before. Theologians, Martin Luther, since this is Reformation Celebration Day, Martin Luther said both that at the moment of your death is Judgment Day. He also said you wait in the grave until the day of judgment when he returns. He said them both. And he didn't say, well, I'm changing my mind. No, that's, they're both true. Verse 28 and 29 implies that it's not only those who are in Christ that hear Christ's voice, but everybody Right, and what's going to happen to those who don't? Yeah, they're going to hear the voice of God, but it's not going to be a voice that they're welcoming or that's rejoicing in. It's going to be a voice that kills them. Because when God speaks, stuff happens, right? And if you're on his side, if you're in Christ, it's always good. If you're outside of Christ, it's always bad. Right? Law, gospel. Does that make sense? So yeah, everyone's going to hear the voice of God. The, remember, he, death is defeated not just for those who are in Christ. It's defeated for everyone. Jesus now holds the power over death. So when he comes as judge, what he says 
goes. Satan's not going to be the one who decides who goes to heaven or hell. That will be Jesus. And what he says eternally happens. And all will hear his voice. So this is a good verse to read to like the Jehovah's Witnesses if they come to your door. Yeah. Yeah, John 5 would be amazing to read with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. John 5, he's like, seriously. <laughs> Me and the Father, same. We got the same stuff going on, right? Yes, very much so. Okay, what was it? Any other questions or thoughts? We're in the middle of something, Roger? Just like Pastor Sermon, time is for our order. Yes. Eternity has no time. That's why I'm saying, eh, you know, we, we, we have ways to talk about these things, and that's fine. It's not necessarily wrong, but it, I, I don't want us getting too far down that road because it's not necessarily totally right either. It's, it's simply a way for us to talk about what we see and reconcile what we know to be true from scripture, we try to smoosh them together and say, well, I see this happening. Scripture tells me this. Remember Jesus, in John 11, Jesus says, he who believes in me will never die. Where does he say that? It's in John 11. Physically, where is he standing when he says that? Outside the tomb of Lazarus, who believed in him and is dead. Are you insane? And Martha looked at him and said, are you out of your mind? How, do, how can Jesus walk up to the tomb of one of his disciples and say, he who believes in me will never die when he's dead and he believed in him? See, there's something going on here that we're not quite perceiving. Remember, in the Gospel of John, more than any other book in the New Testament, the Gospel is... There is a kingdom that is hidden. Right? There is a kingdom that is hidden. Pilate turns to Jesus and say, Are you a king? These people are saying that you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus goes, Yeah. Of course I'm a king. I was born to be a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate's like, Whatever, dude. But see, it's in, in John, the point is not that he's going to explain what you see. What, he's going to, what John keeps on showing us in Jesus is that there is a reality that you can't see until you believe it. That faith teaches us how to see. Our eyes cannot teach us what to believe. Our faith teaches us how to see. So a Christian walks up to a corpse and we say, that person is alive in Christ. How do we know that? Faith. How can you say, how can you walk up to a believer and say, I know without a doubt that person is alive in Christ? How can you say that? Because they were baptized. What's that? They professed the name. They they confessed the name of God. They were baptized into Christ. They confessed the name of God. They received. It happened today. I saw y'all up there. They received the Lord's Supper. Right? You say, well, yeah, that was just them on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, boy, were they? You just say, uh huh, I know. 
I know. And yet in their baptism, and yet through their faith, and yet in the Lord's Supper, they are forgiven child of God, right? And because of that, because their Savior was put to death on a cross and was raised again on the third day, so too will they rise. That's how we can say it. See, it's, it's done. It's in Christ accomplished. Well, now you also have some people like Elijah who was taken up in the world within two. Yeah, so if that happens, write me a letter. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> he, has, he, he is someplace. Yeah, and that's why, that's exactly one of the reasons. See, the transfiguration is, is one of the events that stops us from saying we got all this figured out. Because Moses was not taken up. He was put in the ground. And then he appears in transfiguration with a body. Well, that doesn't work. I don't think God is paying attention. See, and so what happens is these biblical events make us go, whoa, maybe we ain't got all this figured out yet. Maybe we should just wait and see. Perhaps this God of all eternity, this almighty God who created the world through speaking, can do stuff that we can't quite figure out. And he's not really worried about us getting it or not. He just wants us to believe his word and trust him. So I, that's why I say let's not define things that aren't defined. Let's just, let's just call a spade a spade and say, yes, dead because of sin, but alive because of Christ. Right? And that's all we know. And there will come a day when Christ will return physically. And will raise up everybody and give life to all believers in Christ. And those who are outside of Christ will go to judgment. That's what it says. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. That, that's an answer that we just don't know. That it, there's lots of different ways to talk about it. Okay. So number two. Why should you believe that Jesus can call the dead out of the tombs? Because he does it. Where? Lazarus. Okay, remember, in the Gospel of John, more than any other Gospel, when Jesus does, says stuff, just start reading the rest of the Gospel. You'll find him doing it pretty soon. Well, if you listen to my voice, you can come out of the tomb. They're like, yeah, right. And he goes, see John 11. I will show you how this works. And he walks up to Lazarus' tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus says, I'm sorry, but I'm dead. I can't. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, read the story. <laughs> so Lazarus does what? He comes out, and it's hilarious because he comes out all wrapped up like a mummy, a dead person. And the people are freaking out, so he's like, well, you, why don't we go ahead and take off those grave clothes because he doesn't need them anymore. This happens in Jesus' life. He walks up to a funeral in Luke chapter 7. He wants him to do a funeral and he starts talking to the person in the casket. You're not supposed to do that. First of all, you're not supposed to stop a funeral procession. That's just rude. And second, you're not supposed to talk to the person in the casket. But Jesus does it because death is not an issue for him. Right? And in Matthew chapter 9, there's a young girl who's dead and he's like, She's not dead. She's just sleeping. 
and they laugh at him. They mock him. They think he's out of his mind because death is death. No one can walk in and defeat death. Death is simply death. Nobody can change that. Except the Son of God. Okay? And that's what he's saying in John 5. This Sabbath-breaking business you're worried about? Me being equal to my father you're worried about? Oh, just you wait until my voice is stronger than death. If you want to live, hear my voice and believe it. And they're going to go, who do you think you are? You know what he's going to say at the end of this chapter? Moses is going to condemn you for rejecting me because Moses wrote about me. Right? Maybe not too. When the dead man was dropped into the tomb and touched the bones of Elisha. Isn't that crazy? He came back to life. Yeah. The explanation Dude, holy men do weird things. I'm serious. In the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, do not mess with them. Do not mess with Elijah and Elisha. It never goes well. Because they are holy guys. They are the man of God. You read the text about Elijah and Elisha, you do not want them mad at you, and you don't want to interact with them if you don't have to, because weird things happen. Right? You make fun of Elisha and you get eaten by a bear. You hang out with Elijah and your son dies, even though you get all kinds of extra food. It's just weird. Weird stuff happens. Because Elisha and Elijah are the prophets. They are the prophets. And their entire lives are prophecies. Not just their words. Their entire lives are prophecies of the Christ. Okay, so when you fall on Elisha's bones, you live. Well, when Christ is the one upon whom you fall, you get life. I mean, this is just a, an entire prophecy of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the entire life of, of Elisha and Elijah. More than any other prophets. I mean, Samuel is pretty close, but he's leading up to the, to, to the kings. You got to remember, Elisha and Elijah are during the, the reign of the kings. Okay? And they really are. Remember, um, so you have, you have prophets before the kings, and they're kind of a different kind of prophet. And then you have the prophets during the kings, which are the guys telling the kings what's up. And then you have the writing prophets. Okay? Elijah and Elisha are before the writing prophets. So the writing prophets start with Isaiah and Amos and move later. Okay? Who else is a major prophet during the kings? He's David's prophet. Nathan. Nathan. Okay, Nathan is the one who walks up to David and said, you're the man who did this. That's a prophet. He's going to tell the king what's up. Right? Okay? So Elijah and Elisha, yeah, serious stuff. All right, number three. So who is resurrected to life? 
Those that have done good. Oh boy. Right here in Reformation Day. So if you want to live, you should do good. Right. people that are in Christ can do good. Good. So it's not because you did good that you get resurrected to life. It's that the resurrection to life is for those who do good. It's not your goodness that earns the resurrection to life. It's that Christ, the one who, who the voice of the Son of God who conquers death, gives you his righteousness so that everything you do in him is now good. And the evil that you've done, where is that? It's been removed from you. Remember we talked about this? Forgiveness is removed. It's been removed from you. So you're not going to be judged for that because that's already been crucified with Christ. So this is the point. The resurrection is based on works. <laughs> Isn't that fun? But for you, whose works are you going to rely upon? Christ's works. And will it work? Huh. Will God count Jesus' works as your works? Yes. Because you are in Christ. And that's where you put your trust. You don't put your trust here in what I'm doing or how well I'm doing all this. We put all of our trust in Christ and say, because of what He's done, because of who He is, because of His promises, that's where my trust is. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, number four. Who is resurrected to judgment? Those who have done evil. Okay? And who is that? Anyone who's not done good? Everyone who's not done good. That's true. But explicitly, who is that? Those who do not listen to the voice of the Son of God. According to John, specifically, evil are those who do not listen to the voice of the Son of God, or in chapter 3, those who do not want to be in the... Do you remember this one? The light. Remember? They don't like the light because it exposes that their deeds are evil. But those who love the light love it because it exposes that what they have done has been done in... God. See? So it's the same metaphor, or it's a different metaphor, the same idea, is that if, if you want to be in the light of Christ, it reveals that everything that you have that's good is from God. If you avoid the light, it's because you're so caught up in your own evil that you don't want to be exposed. Okay? See, it's the same idea. If you're in Christ, it's good. If you're out of Christ, it's evil. And this will continue through the entire gospel. John chapter 8 was our reading today in church, right? If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So he says, you know, he says all this, and he says, if you ever sin, you're a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And, and the Jews are like, well, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Which is silly for a Jew, Jewish person to say. <laughs> but 
Jesus is like, you're not getting it. See, your freedom is in me. Freedom is in Christ. It's not in what you do or what you avoid. It's in Christ. So everyone in Christ is free. Everyone outside of Christ is slavery. John 14. In my, in my Father's house are many rooms or mansions, however you want to translate it, right? I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I'll come get you and you can be wherever I am, right? Because the Son, go back to John 8, because the Son is the heir. And if you want to be a, a co-heir with Christ, you need to be in Christ so you become a child of His Heavenly Father and you live where Christ lives. If you're outside of Christ, where do you live? What's that? In the darkness. In the darkness, where Christ is not. Not in the Father's house. You only get in the Father's house if you're with the Son. If you're not with the Son, you don't get to go in the Father's house. Well, outside the Father's house is death and darkness and not the Father. You want Here's, here's a little secret to life. You want to live where God is. Because God gives all good things. If you're, if you're apart from God, you don't get anything good. Okay? And that's true for all of eternity. Does that make sense? So, so more, than, more than simply doing good things or doing bad things, this is really the resurrection that is based on being in Christ or out of Christ. And in John chapter 5, it really is whether or not you hear and believe. Okay? And this is the point. If you hear and believe, you are good. And you will do the things that are the fruit of hearing and believing. If you do not hear and believe, right? This is one thing, by the way. Hear, believe. It's, it's slash or and. If you, if you um, ignore and reject or disbelieve, then you don't get life. It's that simple. Okay? So this is why the church is a church that proclaims because hearing and believing is life. Okay? Um, let's see. Let's go to... I'll just show you how this works. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians. So we're in John. Then you got Acts. Then you got Romans. First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians. Okay. So Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter two. It's written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. I'm sorry, chapter three, not two. Galatians three, verse two. Sorry, it was backwards in my head. Jet lag. Galatians three two. Oh, let's read 1 and 2 just because it's fun. So chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See what he's saying? He proclaimed Christ crucified. Now, were they saved because they did good things? Or were they saved, they received the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith? Answer? Hearing, hearing with faith. Okay? So this is, this, is now, this is not John, this is Paul. And that's important because it's not just, it's not just a John thing. This is actually... See, we're hearing. That's good. <laughs> we're hearing and believing. That's okay, Gene. Okay, so, so in Galatians, he is saying, hey, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by hearing and believing Christ crucified. So don't start following anybody who says you're saved by doing good things. Okay? Go to Romans. So go backwards now, back toward John. Skip the Corinthian correspondences. So you got Galatians and go skip 2nd and 1st Corinthians. Go back to Romans chapter 10. Verse 17. This is the verse you all know very well. Romans 10, 17. You know this one by heart. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, we have this hearing and believing together. This is what we do. This is why in church we read Scripture out loud. Because we actually believe that when God's Word is spoken, things happen. And the Spirit gives faith through the hearing of the Word of God. That's one reason you want to speak the Word of God to each other. You want to read the Word of God. Because when you hear it, the, the Holy Spirit gives faith. It's the way He does it. That's why it's called a means of grace. Through this, we receive grace and faith. That's, that's the, way, it's the way it works. Okay? That's all Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen. Listen to my words. And the result will be life. Which means, when you talk to somebody and you speak to them the words of God, that is not a useless thing. That's an important thing. If you have someone in your life that you love, perhaps speak to them the word of God. Because in those words are life. Right? And, and here's the other thing, and I know this might sound a little weird, but this is just a little nugget. You can try it sometime. Try reading scripture out loud, even if you're alone. This is actually the church has read scripture traditionally. Is read the scriptures not just in your own head. Read it out loud. Hear the word of God. Hear it. Meditate on it. Read a verse out loud. Think about it. And then read it out loud to yourself again. Think about it. Go throughout your day with one verse in your head or one passage or one psalm or one small passage of scripture in your head and say it out loud when you can. Write it down. Read it. Right? Interact with the Word of God continually. It's not some mystical thing, but it's, a, it's believing the promise that in hearing the Word of God with faith is life. That's Christ. Yeah? It's living and active. Okay, let's, let's pray. Do you have any questions? I'll be here. You. Let's pray.
Lord, on this day, we thank you for the voice of Jesus has come to us and the Holy Spirit has given us faith. In our baptism, you wash us into Christ and in the Lord's Supper, you feed us once again this day. Keep us ever in Christ that on the last day when he comes and we hear his voice, we rise to the resurrection of life and peace and joy with you. Keep us steadfast in your word and let us be voices that speak the word of Christ to those that we meet this day. Keep us safe as we travel home and bless us in Jesus' name. Thank you all.